Chapter 14 of Revolution and Counter-Revolution, or Germany in 1848. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Revolution and Counter-Revolution, or Germany in 1848, by Karl Marx. Chapter 14. The Restoration of Order. Diet and Chamber. April 24, 1852. The first months of the year 1849 were employed by the Austrian and Prussian governments in following up the advantages obtained in October and November 1848. The Austrian Diet, ever since the taking of Vienna, had carried on a merely nominal existence in a small Moravian country town named Kremsia. Here the Slavonian deputies, who, with their constituents, had been mainly instrumental in raising the Austrian government from its prostration, were singularly punished for their treachery against the European Revolution. As soon as the government had recovered its strength, it treated the Diet and its Slavonian majority with the utmost contempt, and when the first successes of the imperial arms foreboded a speedy termination of the Hungarian War, the Diet, on the 4th of March, was dissolved, and the deputies dispersed by military force. Then, at last, the Slavonians saw that they were duped, and then they shouted, quote, Let us go to Frankfurt, and carry on there the opposition which we cannot pursue here. But it was then too late, and the very fact that they had no other alternative than either to remain quiet or to join the impotent Frankfurt Assembly, this fact alone was sufficient to show their utter helplessness. Thus ended for the present, and most likely forever, the attempts of the Slavonians of Germany to recover an independent national existence. Scattered remnants of numerous nations, whose national and political vitality had long been extinguished, and who in consequence had been obliged for almost a thousand years to follow in the wake of a mightier nation, their conqueror, the same as the Welsh in England, the Basques in Spain, the Bas-Breton in France, and a more recent period, the Spanish and French Creoles in those portions of North America occupied of late by the Anglo-American race, these dying nationalities, the Bohemians, Corinthians, Dalmatians, etc., had tried to profit by the universal confusion of 1848 in order to restore their political status quo of A.D. 800. The history of a thousand years ought to have shown them that such a retrogression was impossible, that if all the territory east of the Elbe and Sala had at one time been occupied by kindred Slavonians, this fact merely proved the historical tendency, and at the same time physical and intellectual power, of the German nation to subdue, absorb, and assimilate its ancient eastern neighbors, that this tendency of absorption on the part of the Germans had always been, and still was, one of the mightiest means by which the civilization of Western Europe had been spread in the east of that continent. That it could only cease whenever the process of Germanization had reached the frontier of large, compact, unbroken nations, capable of an independent national life, such as the Hungarians, and in some degree the Poles, and that therefore the natural and inevitable fate of these dying nations was to allow this process of dissolution and absorption by their stronger neighbours to complete itself. 
certainly this is no very flattering prospect for the national ambition of the pan-slavistic dreamers who succeeded in agitating a portion of the bohemian and south slavonian people but can they expect that history would retrograde a thousand years in order to please a few physical bodies of men who in every part of the territory they occupy are interspersed with and surrounded by germans who from time almost immemorial have had for all purposes of civilization no other language but the german and who lack the very first conditions of national existence numbers and compactness of territory thus the pan-slavistic rising which everywhere in the german and hungarian slavonic territories was the cloak for the restoration to independence of all these numberless petty nations everywhere clashed with the european revolutionary movements and the slavonians although pretending to fight for liberty were invariably the democratic portion of the poles excepted found on the side of despotism and reaction thus it was in germany thus in hungary thus even here and there in turkey traitors to the popular cause supporters and chief props to the austrian government's cabal they placed themselves in the position of outlaws in the eyes of all revolutionary nations and although nowhere the mass of the people had a part in the petty squabbles about nationality raised by the pan-slavistic leaders for the very reason that they were too ignorant yet it will never be forgotten that in prague in a half-german town crowds of slavonian fanatics cheered and repeated the cry quote, rather the russian knout than german liberty after their first evaporated effort in eighteen forty eight and after the lesson the austrian government gave them it is not likely that another attempt at a later opportunity will be made but if they should try again under similar pretexts to ally themselves to the counter-revolutionary force the duty of germany is clear no country in a state of revolution and involved in external war can tolerate a vendee in its very heart as to the constitution proclaimed by the emperor at the same time with the dissolution of the diet there is no need to revert to it as it never had a practical existence and is now done away with altogether absolutism has been restored in austria to all intents and purposes ever since the fourth march eighteen forty nine in prussia the chambers met in february for the ratification and revision of the new charter proclaimed by the king they sat for about six weeks humble and meek enough in their behaviour toward the government yet not quite prepared to go the lengths the king and his ministers wished them to go therefore as soon as a suitable occasion presented itself they were dissolved thus both austria and prussia had for the moment got rid of the shackles of parliamentary control the governments now concentrated all power in themselves and could bring that power to bear wherever it was wanted austria upon hungary and italy prussia upon germany for prussia too was preparing for a campaign by which order was to be restored in the smaller states counter-revolution being now paramount in the two great centres of action in germany in vienna and berlin there remained only the lesser states in which the struggle was still undecided although the balance there too was leaning more and more against the revolutionary interest these smaller states we have said found a common centre in the national assembly at frankfurt now this so-called national assembly although its reactionist spirit had long been evident so much so that the very people of frankfurt had risen in arms against it 
yet its origin was of more or less revolutionary nature it occupied an abnormal revolutionary position in january its competence had never been defined and it had at last come to the decision which however was never recognized by the larger states that its resolutions had the force of law under these circumstances and when the constitutionalist monarchical party saw their positions turned by the recovering absolutists it is not to be wondered that the liberal monarchical bourgeoisie of almost the whole of germany should place their last hopes upon the majority of this assembly just as the petty shopkeepers in the rest the nucleus of the democratic party gathered in their growing distress around the minority of that same body which indeed formed the last compact parliamentary phalanx of democracy on the other hand the larger governments and particularly the prussian ministry saw more and more the incompatibility of such an irregular elective body with the restored monarchical system of germany and if they did not at once force its dissolution it was only because the time had not yet come and because prussia hoped first to use it for the furthering of its own ambitious purposes in the meantime that poor assembly itself fell into a greater and greater confusion its deputations and commissaries had been treated with the utmost contempt both in vienna and berlin one of its members in spite of his parliamentary inviolability had been executed in vienna as a common rebel its decrees were nowhere heeded if they were noticed at all by the larger powers it was merely by protesting notes which disputed the authority of the assembly to pass laws and resolutions binding upon their governments the representative of the assembly the central executive power was involved in diplomatic squabbles with almost all the cabinets of germany and in spite of all their efforts neither assembly nor central government could bring austria and prussia to state their ultimate views plans and demands the assembly at last commenced to see clearly at least so far that it had allowed all power to slip out of its hands that it was at the mercy of austria and prussia and that if it intended making a federal constitution for germany at all it must set about the thing at once and in good earnest and many of the vacillating members also saw clearly that they had been egregiously duped by the governments but what were they in their impotent position able to do now the only thing that could have saved them would have been promptly and decidedly to pass over into the popular camp but the success even of that step was more than doubtful and then where in this helpless crowd of undecided short-sighted self-conceited beings who when the eternal noise of contradictory rumours and diplomatic notes completely stunned them sought their only consolation and support in the everlastingly repeated assurance that they were the best the greatest the wisest men of the country and that they alone could save germany where we say among these poor creatures whom a single year of parliamentary life had turned into complete idiots where were the men for a prompt and decisive resolution much less for energetic and consistent action at last the austrian government threw off the mask in its constitution of the fourth of march it proclaimed austria an indivisible monarchy with common finances system of customs duties of military establishments thereby effacing every barrier and distinction between the german and non-german provinces this declaration was made in the face of resolutions and articles of the intended federal constitution which had been already passed by the frankfurt assembly 
it was the gauntlet of war thrown down to it by austria and the poor assembly had no other choice but to take it up this it did with a deal of blustering which austria in the consciousness of her power and of the utter nothingness of the assembly could well afford to allow to pass and this precious representation as it styled itself of the german people in order to revenge itself for this insult on the part of austria saw nothing better before it than to throw itself hands and feet tied at the feet of the prussian government incredible as it would seem it bent its knees before the very ministers whom it had condemned as unconstitutional and anti-popular and whose dismissal it had in vain insisted upon the details of this disgraceful transaction and the tragicomical events that followed will form the subject of our next london april eighteen fifty two end of chapter fourteen